We'll turn this evening to the book of Isaiah and to chapter 32. Isaiah 32. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment, and a man shall be a hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall hearken. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. The vile person shall be no more called liberal, nor the churl said to be bountiful, for the vile person will speak villainy, and his heart will work iniquity to practice hypocrisy and to utter error against the Lord, to make empty the soul of the hungry, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. The instruments also of the churl are evil. He deviseth wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaketh right. But the liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. Rise up, ye women that are at ease, hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Many days and years shall be shall ye be troubled, ye careless women. For the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you and make you bare and gird sackcloth upon your loins. They shall lament for the teats, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city, because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitude of the city shall be left, the forts and towers shall be for dens for ever, a joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest, then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance for ever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places, when it shall hail coming down on the forest, and the city shall be low in a low place. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. Amen. Again, we give thanks for the reading of God's word. Let's bow our heads again and ask his help in our understanding. Our Father, as we come before thee this night, we recognize once again the need of a spiritual understanding Lord as we open the book we thank thee that we are able to turn to the Lord who wrote these things and we pray father that we might comprehend the things which are written here and how they affect us because the scripture is given that we might receive exaltation Lord upon whom the latter ends of the world are come and we pray our father that we might see uh, here, blessed things for our own souls and instruction for us also. 
You're mindful, Father, that the disciples went forth and the apostles after the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ with no New Testament, but just this old. And Lord, they went forth with a gospel and they preached that gospel and many were brought unto thee. And so, Father, we pray that we may have an understanding of the gospel here in this book of Isaiah. And Lord, that we might give glory to your name because all of these things thou hast purposed from the foundation of the world. Lord, there are many things revealed in this particular prophecy of that which was to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that thou wast direct our thoughts and our comprehension tonight. And we pray, Lord, that we might leave this house with a blessing, with an understanding also. And, Father, that thou wouldst search our hearts, and that we might go forth not just with the understanding of the Scripture as an academic exercise, but, Lord, with an understanding of our hearts, of our souls, of our need, and of thy power, and of thy purpose. We ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen. I want to take the verses at the end of this chapter, from verse 15 to the end of the chapter, uh, as a text, and to consider them together, uh, and to see them in the light of uh, the situation of today. Uh, of course, when we look at the scriptures, we are looking also at the, uh, the history of Israel. Uh, these things were written, first of all, of course, to the people who would hear. And I've made this comment before that there were many, of course, to whom the prophets came who would not listen, who would not hear. And God, of course, and you realize that there's still a condemnation to those who refuse the gospel, who refuse to listen to it, who refuse to take it. Uh, but nevertheless, the blessings and the joys and the revelations are made to those who have ears to hear. Remember how the Lord Jesus so often um, used those words to the, uh, to the multitude to gather around him, uh, that he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So there are uh, things here which are very clear and very plain of the time. And things which perhaps to the people of the time may, may have been uh, somewhat foreign to them. Uh, in verse 15, we read, Unto the Spirit, Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. And what did that mean to them? Did that mean something which was physical? Did they think that uh, when the Spirit was poured out, the nation would be healed? Or was it uh, uh, an understanding that the Lord would be working within their own hearts? Well, I want to consider it from that uh, point of view. So I want to give, first of all, a simple analysis. I hope it will be simple, simple anyway. Um, uh, quite often an analysis, when I bring it forth, is not as simple as I think it is. So I hope it will be simple enough and we can uh, follow what they, the purpose which I have here this evening. And then go on to consider a survey of the scriptures, looking in a little more depth at what is written here, and then for finally a, a, a sure application of those things to our own situation. So a simple analysis here uh, of these verses, and uh, as uh, uh, they uh, seem to interpret to my heart and to my understanding, in verse 15 we see uh, how that, the, or rather, Rather, verse 9, we see how there was a judgment that was upon the land. Um, we read of the judgment a little bit earlier. We, we see there about the vile person in verse 5, and uh, those who speak villainy, 
and the heart that will work iniquity. There was a, an uncleanness in the land. And, of course, we observe these things in, in this land, in this day and age, and have done throughout all of the, uh, the ages. Uh, there have always been those who, being in unrighteousness, in uncleanness, uh, ha have uh, populated the world. But we see also here in verse 9, Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. These are strange words. Because usually the, the scriptures are uh, aimed at the men. And here it is speaking of the women. And I wonder if the reason that it's speaking of the women is because the women were more likely to be at, uh, uneasy at the situation which was in Israel at this time. We know that many of the men would be very gung-ho about what was going on. We know that they went to Egypt for help. Uh, the situation in the land at this time was that the Assyrians had uh, raised up to great power. They had already gone into the north of the kingdom, into uh, what was called Israel or Ephraim in the north. They were coming now toward the south, the land of Judah, and toward Jerusalem. They had come uh, that they might take all of the nation and that they might destroy it before them and carry away captives. We see there in chapter 31 and verse 1, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses. So the men, being gung-ho, would say, Well, we have a hope still. We can turn to the Egyptians. The Egyptians will help us. And when the armies come in against Israel or against Judah, we will have the help of the Egyptians. The scripture tells us that they were like a broken reed, that they could put no trust in them. But nevertheless, that would be their attitude. But here we see that the women are at ease as well. Uh, they have come to a point where there is no fear in them, that everything will be all right. There's no fear of the judgment of God. There's no fear of things coming to an end. Uh, there was no trembling amongst them that things are in a dire circumstance. And of course, the scripture tells us this also, uh, that when they say peace and safety, then judgment will come upon them. And this is the background here, the context of judgment but there is to be a blessing. But I think that this blessing perhaps is something of a, a disjunction uh, from the uh, literal situation that was there at that time. I, I say this, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, we find here again a similar situation because Isaiah is all with the backdrop of this attack uh, from Assyria and also uh, the troubles from Syria. But the Lord comes and says that he would be with Israel. And he says to Ahaz, who was the king at the time, in verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spake unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Now, this sounds very good, that he wouldn't tempt God. And, of course, we are taught in the scripture not to tempt God. But here... This is hypocrisy, because the life of Ahaz is tempting God, and the things which he is doing, uh, not referring to the Lord, not coming to the Lord, are tempting God. But he says, no, I, I, I don't want anything to do with this. I, I won't tempt God. This is his excuse. But nevertheless, Isaiah goes on and gives a sign. But note he doesn't say, hear ye now, Ahaz, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But in verse 13, he says, and he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And these words, of course, are taken in Matthew 1, 22, refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this disjunction from what is going on at the time to a looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many commentators have said, well, there must have been a young woman at the time as well to whom this refers. I don't think there necessarily was. Uh, Ahaz had refused a sign from God. And the sign was given to the house of Judah. It was given to uh, the, the people. And the sign was certainly concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in verse 15, I think we have a similar thing. For it says that the judgment will come upon them until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. And then it uses uh, somewhat um, picturesque language, I think, uh, to describe upon whom the Spirit of the Lord would come. Does the Spirit of the Lord come upon a wilderness or a fruitful field? Or does the Spirit of the Lord come upon the hearts and souls of the people? Does the Spirit not work within us, not in uh, fixtures and fittings and, and, uh, and vegetation? No, the Spirit of God works in us. And I think there is a picture here of our hearts. So as we go through these words and see the content, we see, first of all, the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. The wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. I want to go a little further into those thoughts. But first of all, just to lay before you this consideration that the wilderness is our heart because we are wild at heart, because we have departed from the Lord and because we had followed after the things of the world and the things of the flesh. And that spiritual aspect of our person is lost. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And that is because the spirit is dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus says to, uh, to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Why? Because you're dead. Because there is no spiritual nature. There is no spiritual understanding until the spirit comes upon you and gives you life. As the spirit breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul. So we need the spirit to breathe into the nostrils of our souls that they might live. And so here I think that these words, until the spirit be poured from us upon us from on high and the wilderness be a fruitful field and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. I say we'll come back in a moment. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. Judgment. Well, this fruitful field, there is a, a fruitfulness now about us, but nevertheless, we are counted as a forest, that is, a wild place. Because we are, aren't we? And the scripture tells us that although the Lord has saved us, yet we are not perfect. We still sin, we still fail, we still fall short of what we ought to be. And yet, there is a blessing in us, and there is a fruitfulness about us. It tells us then in verse 17, the work of righteousness shall be peace, the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in peaceable habitations and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And again, we know this, that for all the fact that we may as, as Christians be sinners still, and the times when we come into the presence of the Lord and we pray to him and, and the thoughts come into our minds of what we were, of what we are, 
of our failings, of our shortcomings, of what we determined at some point, perhaps here in the scripture, at such a time as this, at the beginning of the year, and saying, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give myself to prayer every day. We have many determinations which come upon us, particularly in youth, and say that this is what I am going to be. And then we look back in later times and we say, well, I never, I never actually attained that. Some people, it can be just a simple thing of reading the scripture every day, of setting aside a half an hour or an hour in the morning or in the evening to come into the presence of the Lord. And we come to the end of the week and realize, well, we did that on the Monday. But Tuesday, well, something happened on the Tuesday. And Wednesday, well, we were very, very tired that day. And Thursday, there was something we really needed to watch because uh, it was on the television just that day and, and we really couldn't wait to see it. And we haven't done it. And then we come, seek to come before the Lord, perhaps, uh, and I hope we do, uh, before we come into the house of God and ask the Lord to bless us. And we think to ourselves, well, am I worthy of that blessing? Uh, should I really receive a blessing from the Lord? But what have I done for him? What have I accomplished for him this week? With all of my determination at the beginning of the week to do it. And we find that we are still a wilderness and yet a fruitful field, but counted as a wild place, counted as a forest. But the judgments dwell in the wilderness. Righteousness remains in the fruitful field. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. So we desire to work this righteousness and the effect of that righteousness around us and all that we have an effect upon and influence upon is peace. And we will be in a sure dwelling in a quiet resting place. It says then in verse 19, when it shall hail coming down on the forest. Now we've made mention of the forest already in verse 15. The fruitful field be counted for a forest. But, and the city shall be, a low, shall be low in a low place. And we'll come to consider the city also. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. So where I'm really going with this is consider yourself to be that wilderness, which is a fruitful field and yet considered to be still wild. Uh, but there is an effect of righteousness because the spirit of God has been poured upon us and there is a transformation. There is a change happening and we are acceptable before the Lord. The peace which can be ours, the more we walk with the Lord and the blessing which might be upon us because we walk with him and the joy of the Lord and that resting in him. And consider that the Lord has called us uh, that we should sow beside all waters. So survey of the scripture then, let's just look over these words again. Until the spirit be poured upon us from on high. Certainly this was something which occurred in the days of the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ also making mention of it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 33, uh, Peter preaching says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. So there's a direct reference to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost here. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. And Jesus Christ receives the promise of the Holy Ghost. He has already told the disciples that the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And now here we find uh, it enacted in the presence of the people that the Spirit of God comes upon them. 
they begin to uh, minister and they minister in the languages of the people who are there. It perhaps it gives us some light on this text as well in John chapter 7. This verse came to mind uh, in verse 38. Jesus says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, this is a, a verse which has troubled many and troubled me. Come to that, because in the Old Testament, obviously the Holy Ghost was there. We know the Spirit of God uh, came upon, upon Bezalel, for instance, uh, who was one of those who uh, made the, uh, the parts of the, of the tabernacle uh, and built the, the, uh, the ark and the table of showbread and so on and did all of those things. And he was filled with the Holy Ghost. So surely the Holy Ghost was there. And surely also we know from the scripture that without the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. So surely Abraham must have had the Holy Spirit. And uh, Joseph and, uh, and Jacob and all of those who were saved in the Old Testament. What does it mean then that the Holy Ghost or the Spirit was not yet given? The Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And I suggest it is because these prophecies have been set in the scripture that the Spirit be poured out upon us from on high. That there would be a new thing. And this was not to happen until after the Lord Jesus Christ had completed his work and ascended up into heaven. So the Spirit of God coming upon them was something which was yet to be. It was something which was future and way future. And that there would be these troubles amongst them until the Lord Jesus Christ would come. Then we see that the wilderness be a fruitful field. Uh, the fruitful field be counted for a forest. And again, considering these words and seeing them in this, uh, with this spiritual um, application of them, think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. For he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I am carnal or fleshly. We've made the comment before that when it speaks about the spirit warring in warring or lusting against the flesh, that is exactly what it means. We can we can be so taken up with the jargon of Christianity that we we miss the simplicity of it. When we think about the temptations which come upon us, which deal with us, which which trouble us spiritually, so that when we come into the presence of God, we, we feel that we're not worthy to be in his presence. And uh, sometimes even to the point where we don't go into his presence because we think, well, we, we, we've really got to put things right before uh, we can come before the Lord and speak to him. When we think about these things which affect us so spiritually, we go back to what the flesh is. The flesh itself is the problem. The flesh is the problem in the fact that the temptations which take us away from Christ give us some fleshly pleasure. They release particular uh, things within our bodies that make us feel good. And it's that feel-good factor that makes us follow after the things of the world, that lust after the things of the flesh, the, the, the going after alcohol, for instance, to make you feel better. Uh, the, the, the chasing after uh, women or men or whatever else um, uh, may come upon us in that way. It, it releases particular hormones. It releases particular things within our body which make us feel good. 
And they are actually the flesh. It is actually the flesh. It's not something which is a kind of a spiritual flesh over here and a, and a, and a, a, a godly flesh, a godly, godly spirit over here, a fleshly spirit over here and a godly spirit over there. It's not the spirit of the flesh. It is the flesh itself. That is our problem. And our problem uh, rises up continually. We read together from, from um, 1 Corinthians and Paul says, I keep under my body. And he likens himself to an athlete, an athlete who eats the right food, an athlete who makes himself get up in the morning, go for that run, an athlete who continually does the exercises to strengthen the particular muscles that he needs, the athlete who goes through that burning of the muscles uh, when he has run so far and he has to go through that pain barrier in order to win. The, the athlete who controls him, everything that he does from his diet to his day to his sleep to, uh, to uh, what he actually accomplishes within the day. And the Apostle Paul says, that's how I look at life. I keep my body under subjection. I control my body. I will not let it control me. And that is uh, how he has looked at life. So here we see this wilderness this wilderness of the flesh, this wilderness which will be a fruitful field and yet be counted for a forest. We come then to this 16th verse and says, Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. Because when God saves us, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, there is a a new work done. But the flesh is the same. The temptations are the same. And very often it's the same temptations, whatever we were into before, which which call us back and draw us back into the world. That old company that we knew before, those things that we used to do, that old music that we used to listen to, those places that we used to go to. And instead of having a, a transformation of our mind to look now unto the Lord, we are still looking at the world, still being drawn back to the world. And yet there is a work which is done in us. A work of righteousness, a work of salvation. It remains in the fruitful field and that work of righteousness brings peace. So the more we can give ourselves to the Lord, the more we can we can keep the body under subjection, the flesh under subjection. The more we can uh, rejoice in the things of God and reading the scriptures and praying and, and spending time in the Lord's presence and in the presence of the Lord's people the more peace comes into our hearts. The more joy fills us. And of course, the more joy fills us, the more we have something which is above uh, those chemicals which rise in our bodies from the lusts of the flesh. We delight, begin to delight in the Lord. And the more we delight in the Lord, the more time we want to spend in his presence. It's our joy now. We don't want the world. The world surrounds us. The world is with us the whole time. And it's so easy to be slowly drawn into it to such an extent that we find it difficult to find anything that that pulls us out of it. We get admired once again in the things of the world. I remember when I was in Bible college and there was no television there. uh, There was no newspapers there. Uh, there were no secular books there. We had our Bibles and we did Bible studies every day. We had prayer meetings every day. And we spent a lot of time in the presence of the Lord and no time in the presence of the world. 
I remember coming back that first Christmas after we'd started in that term, and it had been such a delightful time, such a great blessing to my soul, that when I came back that Christmas, the television was on, I didn't want to watch it. And when I did watch something on the television, there was somebody who died, and my first thought was, that person's soul is going to hell. That person is going to hell. It was just a film. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, the news or anything. But you see how spending time in the presence of the Lord gives you a whole new outlook on life. I had a record collection, and I thought, well, I don't want to listen to that record, those records anymore. I need to get rid of them. I gave them to my brother, and he sold them all for me. But the spending time in the presence of the Lord. I remember Ivan Foster, one of the ministers in Northern Ireland, saying one time at the week of prayer, the minister's week of prayer at the beginning of each year in Northern Ireland, and uh, we were there, and it is always a blessing, and people were saying around the dinner table that evening that it's always a great blessing. A whole week away from their ministry, a great uh, a week amongst brethren, uh, a week hearing the word of God being preached, a week away from, well, as I've said before, the newspapers and the television and the radio and everything else which goes on around us, a week in the presence of the Lord. And I remember him saying that we think of the week of prayer as being a particular time of blessing. But if we did the same thing on our own, not with our other brethren, but just on our own, we didn't watch television, we didn't read the newspapers, we didn't hear the radio, we didn't mix with the things of the world, we spent as much time in prayer as we do when we're at the week of prayer, we would receive the same blessing. And I think he was right. But how much time do we spend in the presence of the Lord? The work of righteousness shall be peace. The effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever so often the people of God lack assurance we lack assurance because we don't spend enough time in the presence of the Lord we are not assured because we're not with him and then we begin to wonder is he with us we saw this morning that he says I will never leave thee nor forsake thee but nevertheless that doubt comes into our minds just because we don't spend time in his presence because he is not filling our lives and our minds and our thoughts and our time because the world has so much of us we are still as it were that forest that wild place overgrown unmanaged then we see here uh, that the work of righteousness shall be peace and uh, we think about the peaceableness which comes to us through the lord In James 3 verse 17 it says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Again in verse 18, the following verse, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. See, if we are at peace with the Lord, we will bring peace all around us. There will be peace in our families. There will be peace amongst our friends and and, uh, in the fellowship because we are spending time in the presence of the Lord. And the fruit of the Spirit, of course, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. This peace, these things are 
those things which are given to us by the pouring of the Spirit upon us, where the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. The fruitful field is counted for a forest because, well, we're not perfect. But nevertheless, the blessing of the Lord is upon us, and the righteousness remains in the fruitful field, and judgment dwells in the wilderness. And then we see that righteousness is that thing that we are seeking after. That there might indeed be righteousness remaining. That the work of righteousness will bring peace. The effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance. John says this, and and it's a, a good verse for us to remember. He says to us, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that doeth righteousness. Now, sometimes we can, we can kind of step back and say, well, the Lord has saved me and the Lord has given me his righteousness and, and I'm clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness. I'm not saved by my righteousness. I'm saved by Christ's righteousness. And when I stand before God, it won't be my righteousness which will be acceptable before the Lord because my righteousness is as filthy rags. But it'll be Christ's righteousness and therefore, well, uh, the righteousness that I have is not that important. But John is saying the opposite. He is saying your righteousness is important. It doesn't save you. That is true. Nevertheless, he that doeth righteousness is righteous. And if you're not doing righteousness, then you have to examine yourself and say, well, am I in the faith? If the spirit of God has been poured upon me and righteousness remains in the fruitful field, And righteousness is that peace and that quietness and assurance and I don't have righteousness. Surely I need to examine my heart to see whether I be in the faith. And then we see this 19th verse. When it shall hail coming down on the forest and the city shall be low in a low place. We think about the hail, the hail that will carry away the the, uh, covert of lies. Isaiah uses such terminology. That it will all be washed away by the hail of God. That is the judgment of God. And there will be, of course, a judgment. And God will come upon us and, and there will be a judgment of all the earth. And it will come down on the forest. And the city shall be low in a low place. The city is the epitome of man's works and man's purposes and man's endeavor. Uh, but it will be made the lowest in the presence of God. We note that the first city mentioned in the scripture is the one that was built by Cain, named after his son Enoch. The city is a place of iniquity, and we know that the great cities of the world are iniquitous places. Uh, and it is a place where people gather together, and so often uh, the most corruption appears and uh, grows within cities. The gathering of people, the gathering of the unclean, because we are all unclean and sinners before God. We see that the judgment of God will come and it will come upon the forest, upon us, but it will come upon the city and the city will be low, in a low place. The blessing of God is upon us for all of the unrighteousness which fills us and the Lord will save us if we are his because the spirit of God has been poured upon us from on high. So we come to this application finally and see here that there is a a real transformation, a real transformation. When God comes upon us, there is a real changing from that 
that wilderness to a fruitful field. And though the fruitful field be counted as a forest and still wild and uh, uh, so much untamed, yet, yet the Lord is working in us. He is transforming us. And we should see evidence of that transformation in our lives from year to year. And as we come into this new year, we look back over the last and say, well, what has the Lord done in me? Or what have I done with the Lord? How have I accomplished anything in his presence or in my own spiritual life in the presence of the Lord? Has there been a transformation? Has there been a change? Do I see evidence of the spirit of God being poured upon me from on high? The hail will come down and test all things. And we read in 1 Corinthians that there will be the test of God and there will be the wood and the hay and the stubble hay and the stubble which will be driven away and burned up in that day. And the gold, silver and precious stones will abide the fire. Where will we stand in that day of the Lord? Is there a real transformation in our lives? He says in Isaiah 28 and verse 17, Judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. Let us not hide in a refuge of lies. Let us examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith, to see whether this righteousness which comes upon us and abides in the fruitful field is actually there, to see if we are pressing on with him. We should have a real expectation of the work of God within our lives also. In verse 20, Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. We should be making those endeavours to overcome, to be more spiritual, to be more blessed of the Lord, to know more of his presence, to know more of his joy, to, to grow in grace, to grow in knowledge, to grow in our understanding of scripture. Paul says, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Are we sowing to the spirit? Are we giving our time to the spirit? Are we giving our efforts to subdue the flesh and grow in understanding and grow in grace and grow in knowledge? Do we have a real expectation of these blessings? See, as, as the prophet preaches these things and writes them, he speaks about the judgments which are coming upon the land and the iniquity which is in the land and then says, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. Look forward, for there is a blessed time which approaches. And it was a blessed time. And it is a blessed time. Do we have that expectation of blessedness? That the Lord will be with us. And then finally, a real determination. Blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. Do you have a determination to overcome in this world? Do you have a determination to be Christ's and none others? To say to the Lord, we will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. In Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14, the Apostle Paul writes, for this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, 
being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. This is the prayer of Paul. Paul desires that you and I go on, that we grow, that we are filled with the knowledge of his will, in wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, that is, the pleasing of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. You see, Paul sees this young church and the people who had turned to Christ and so many Christians, so many Christians, you could talk to about the scriptures and they won't have a first clue of where anything comes from or what anything means. Because they don't read the scriptures for themselves. They don't pray over the scriptures. They don't look into the scriptures. They don't seek to understand the scriptures. And even if they do have a, a, a quiet time with the Lord each day, it is a, a, a little reading book somewhere and they read a text. They might read the chapter not really understand it. But we don't have time for anything else. Because the world's calling me. Because I have to go to work. Because I have a family. Because I want to watch something on television or whatever else it may be. Paul's desire is that they might all follow after me as I keep my body under subjection and and fight as though I am seeking to win a prize. That you all might have this passion. And I'm sure that Paul, as he looks upon the churches, sees a lack of passion in so many and asks the question, are they truly the Lord's? In Galatians, he uses the words, I stand in doubt of you. Do we stand in doubt of ourselves? Or are we sowing beside all waters? Are we seeking the knowledge of his will? Are we seeking wisdom, spiritual understanding? Are we seeking to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing? Are we seeking to be fruitful in every good work? Are we seeking to increase in the knowledge of God, to be strengthened with all might, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness? Are we seeking these things, sowing beside all waters, that we might grow in grace and know the blessing which God has promised to us? Ephesians 4.1, the apostle says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. The Spirit has been poured upon his people. If you are his then let us be that fruitful field. Let us bring peace into our own lives and hearts and into the lives and hearts and families and churches in which we are involved. And let us go on to know the Lord in fullness. And may the Lord bless each of us as we seek to do so. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank thee for the promise of the Spirit of God. We know, Lord, as we read the scriptures that the Spirit came just as it was prophesied, 
Not that the Spirit had not been before, but that the Spirit came in this most powerful way. And Lord, after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God came upon the disciples there in the upper room. And Lord, great power was given. And Lord, that we might know that power. We remember the words of the Apostle himself, who had the power, and yet nevertheless said that I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Lord, as the apostle continued to pray that same prayer, still desiring the power of God, we realize that we too need to be pressing onwards and upwards, that we need to be sowing beside all, all waters, sending forth the feet of the ox and the ass. And Lord, we pray that we might uh, reap greatly from the blessing which is in the Lord. Touch us then, we ask thee, and continue with us and help us to overcome the world for thou hast overcome the world and we are thy people if indeed we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.